read tonight for our text in the book of Romans, chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, beginning at the 11th verse. And we'll read verses 11 through 14 of Romans chapter 13. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. We find this place called Rome for the first time mentioned in the scriptures back in Acts chapter 2. Of course, it was the time of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, and the Bible says that there were strangers of Rome, part of this international group that were gathered at Jerusalem to witness Pentecost. They didn't know what they were in for because they witnessed the power of the Holy Ghost falling on sanctified individuals. Strangers is really just an, an old English word for foreigners, and for them, they were over 2,000 miles from home. So that's Acts chapter 2, where Rome's first mentioned. And we find at the end of the Acts of the Apostles, it was probably about 30 years later, where the Apostle Paul has this great desire to make his way back to that place called Rome. In fact, Paul's quoted in Rome, excuse me, in Acts 19.21 as saying, I must also see Rome. He had this desire for the people there, no doubt for the people of God there, and this was his home in a sense because the Bible tells us in Acts 22 that he was a Roman citizen by birth. It was, of course, the capital of the Gentile world, and we know that the Apostle Paul is often referred to as the Apostle to the Gentiles. And ultimately, Rome built the road system that the Apostles would use to spread the gospel to the Gentile world, or we might say the Western world. I don't think we also often realize, but it was probably not for 11 or 12 years after Paul had been converted, he had been saved. He, the Bible tells us in the letter to the Galatians that he was taught of Jesus himself, the gospel. He was trained by the Lord before. It wasn't 11 or 12 years until Paul went on his first trip. And often we look in our study Bibles at the back, it's referred to as a missionary journey. Well, we know that Paul went on his first missionary journey, and you can see a map where we see his second and his third missionary, his journey. And then his final trip, it was his trip back to this place called Rome. In some study Bibles, it might be called his fourth missionary journey or his voyage or simply his voyage back to Rome. But it was a big deal for him. You get that sense when you read the end of the book of Acts. And of course, we know that tradition tells us that Paul was ultimately martyred for his faith back at this place called Rome. Recently, we've studied in, in Sunday school many of Paul's letters, and we learned and talked about how 
of his 13 letters, and if you include his 14th uh, being in the book of Hebrews, there's some discussion about whether it was uh, or not written by Paul. Seven letters were written to seven specific churches. The Romans was one of them. The church at Galatia, Ephesus, Colossae, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, and Rome. And of course, we learned as, as we discussed that often when Paul would write a letter, he would dictate it or he would tell it to somebody and then it was written down. And then his friends, his helpers would then take a journey and they would deliver it to that church. Imagine what that trek would have been, the letters that they would have had of Paul taking that journey back. And, and some letters were meant to be spread around. And of course, the Holy Spirit knew that they would be relevant for you and me today. And ultimately, they would spread around the world and be a part of the Holy Scriptures. You've probably noticed that at the beginning of many of Paul's letters, for instance, at the beginning of Romans chapter 1, verse 7, he says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace. And then if you actually take that term and you search it and you look at a lot of Paul's letters, he uses that same sort of greeting, grace be unto you in peace. First Corinthians, Galatians, grace be to you in peace from God the Father. Ephesians, grace to you and peace. Well, Paul, he was using this term grace that really is a, a term that the Gentiles would have known, at, known about. Or in the Greek, that would have been a greeting that they were aware of. And then he uses this word peace. And we know in the Hebrew, shalom is a greeting that would be used in the Hebrew. So really, he was an apostle to the Gentiles, but his writings was for all people, all humanity. And he was reaching out to everybody, likely when he uses that greeting. The Holy Spirit knew that these letters would be relevant to all of us today, to all Christians throughout church history, and to you and me tonight. If we look here, Again, at the 13th chapter, if we look at the verse prior to our text, Paul tells them, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And of course, something that is talked about often in Scripture is the highest form of love, agape love, and that's what he's referring to. If you look at the original, we're familiar with that. But he says that that type of love worketh no ill to his neighbor. And we know that word ill is an old-fashioned way of saying worketh nothing bad, no harm, nothing evil. It even goes to the extent of nothing depraved or even wicked toward his neighbor. And notice that he doesn't just say to fellow Christians. It's one thing to love each other as Christians. That shouldn't be too hard, should it? It's another thing to love the world. And he's saying here that as Christians, we work no ill towards everybody. Everybody's our neighbor. Who we go to school with is our neighbor. Who we go to work with is our neighbor. Who we see on the road that cuts us off when we're supposed to be yielding or they're supposed to be yielding, they're our neighbor. He's talking to Christians, of course, and believers, but he's also talking to everybody, whoever we rub shoulders with in our life. That's what he's speaking to. Our neighbors, everyone around us, everyone that we run into, everyone that we talk to, everyone that we have a conversation with, everyone that we run into with uh, an online encounter with. Even if they're not your best of friends, they're your neighbor. And he's talking about loving them. 
even if you disagree with them politically, the scripture here is talking about loving them. And of course he says, therefore, in this same verse, or because of this, love is the fulfilling of the law. And he's speaking to us as Christians because the apostle John said, by this man shall all men know that you are my disciples if ye have love one for another. And we don't want to forget that because we mention that quite often, don't we? If we have love one for another, how will the world know that we're Christ-like, that we're Christians? And that is if we have love one for another. In verse 11 here in Romans chapter 13, he says, and that knowing the time, or being aware of the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. This is a warning. I believe this can be a warning to all of us here tonight as well. Paul is, is really what he's saying here, this is urgent. High time here means this is desperate, or that this is crucial, or that this is a critical crossroads, so to speak. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. I worry that some of us might be asleep spiritually. It's one thing to claim Christ. It's one thing to point back to an experience a year ago, five years ago, or ten years ago. But the warning here by the Apostle Paul is to Awake out of sleep. We can find ourselves coasting along spiritually, lukewarm spiritually. If we're lukewarm spiritually, it's well documented that the Bible says that the Lord will spew us out of his mouth. We can be asleep at the wheel spiritually. But Paul is saying here, and we can say here tonight, young people, we live in desperate times. We live in critical times. We live in crucial times. And the enemy wants to deceive you. He wants to trick you. He will lie to you. He will accuse you. He will, get, he will do anything within his means to get you to fall asleep spiritually at the, at the mill, excuse me, will, and to miss everything. And Paul is saying, it is high time to awake out of sleep. It's no wonder when we have revival, many people at church get saved. I did. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Because he goes on uh, now to say, Paul says, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And, and he's talking about salvation our, our, our complete salvation, the entire plan of salvation when we're glorified and we're, when we're in heaven. And we know that our salvation is much closer than when we first believed. Look how close we are to the soon return of coming, the coming of Christ. We're literally knocking on the door of if we miss the rapture, we can miss everything. And he's saying, wake up, you're asleep. And I believe the Lord would say to us, it is high time now to get sanctified. It is high time now to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is high time now to be reading personally at home the scriptures. It is high time now to spend time alone with God at home. Somebody can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. We must spend individual personal time with the Lord and I believe the scripture says here wake up be on guard be aware it's high time 
The enemy is working full time. Even over the last year, we've seen people take different sides on different issues, political or social issues. People get so up in arms with each other. And I think about these verses. I remember when we were talking about some of the subject matters and people so fired up. Me and Allison were talking at home and and she mentioned, you know, some people are going to miss heaven over this stuff. It was that big of a deal. If you got your point across online or if you agreed or you didn't dis- or you disagreed or you can't even what what side did you take take or didn't take people will miss heaven over that and the scripture says wake up In verse 12 he says the night is far spent the day is at hand let us therefore cast off the works of darkness what works is he talking about well he gives us a list In verse 13, these are the works of darkness. Number one, the scripture says rioting, which means reveling. Or we can even say in another context, partying gone too far. His next term that Paul uses here is drunkenness or intoxication. And listen, if you want to mess around with alcohol, the scripture is so clear that drunkenness is a sin. The Bible's so clear. And some people want to argue about, well, when are you drunk? And in some states, you're intoxicated if you're 0.08. In some states, 1.0. So you're going to go down the road and say that you're sinning if you're in that state, but in not that state? No, we completely avoid it. We can be intoxicated with things of this world, not just alcohol here. I believe he's talking about we can be intoxicated with our phone. We can be intoxicated with media. The next word he uses here is chambering, which means sexual impurity. He says this is a work of darkness. Wantonness, an old English word for greed or self-indulgence, gluttony. Then next he says strife, another one to put off, which is quarrel, wrangling, or debate. Do you have trouble getting along with people? The scripture says here it's a work of darkness. Put it off. And lastly, he says envying, which would be our jealousy or begrudging others. And he quite specifically says here, let us put off all of these things. And in verse 13, it says, let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in the night, not this way, not in the dark, not in things that are behind closed doors, not in things that maybe other people don't know about. The scripture says here, and let us put on the armor of light. And then in verse 14, he reiterates, and he even gets more specific. In verse 14, Romans 13 here, it says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question for all of us tonight, young people, is what are you wearing? Paul says here, put on the armor of light and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Young people, what are we wearing? Now, everyone here is dressed very nice tonight. We all look very nice. But you know that I'm talking about how do we look in the eyes of Jesus Christ? How do we look spiritually? How do we look in the eyes of the Lord? And if we look at this phrase, this this three words, these three words rather, put ye on. And if we look at the original, it's fascinating. 
it literally means sinking into a garment or clothes, what we would refer it to, to invest with clothing spiritually. Look at the original, to invest with clothing spiritually. Young people, we want to invest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to invest your time in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to invest your life in living for Jesus. And then, and then also it means to be endued or to have on. You know, we can invest so much time in style, what we wear, how we wear it. Will it be noticed? Does somebody else have what I'm wearing? Does someone else... Did somebody else notice what I was wearing? But we want to put our energy. We want to put our life's work. We, if, we're, if we're going to say we're Christians, we're saying we're Christ-like. If we're saying we're, we're followers of the Lord, we're saying we're disciples of Christ. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We want our friends to notice what we're wearing spiritually. We want the world to notice what we're wearing spiritually. We want someone that no one that has never met us before, we run into them, we want them to see what we are wearing. We want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an old uh, choir song we sung with the youth for years. It says, are you dressed for the wedding? And many of you have probably sung that before. And it's talking about, of course, a wedding up in heaven. But we need our robes to be white now. That's what the blood of Christ does. It washes us, washes sins away, and then it sanctifies us wholly and cleanses us. If we're running around with dirty garments now, we won't make it. It's what the scripture says. If you believe and you're taught that you're saved, but you continue wallowing around in dirty rags, we're falling short. We want to be washed and we want to be cleansed. The scripture is very clear about being washed from our sins and being cleansed. And I know we've used the example many times that hand sanitizer that says it does a 99.9% .9 job. The blood of Jesus is a 100% job. So how can we teach anything less than a 100% capable blood of Jesus? And we don't want to take the Lord off. Sometimes on the weekend, maybe you dress a little bit more comfortably. For me, it's either a suit or sweats, much of the time. I decided that jeans, they're not comfortable. They used to be for years, but why bother? But you know, sometimes it might be a little bit uncomfortable when you put on the Lord Jesus. Somebody might make fun of you. Somebody might think you're kind of crazy. Somebody might think there's something strange about you, but that doesn't mean to take it off. We don't take the garments of the Lord Jesus off when we leave church, when we're in our room by ourselves where nobody's around, when we're at school or when we're at work. We're always clothed. The scripture exhorts us with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, don't make provision for the flesh. He's saying, don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't give the enemy reason to, we're still in the flesh. We're not glorified yet. We know things that might tempt us. Avoid temptation. 
Avoid going to those places. Avoid, avoid watching those things. Avoid going to those websites. Avoid getting into those chats, which you know will war against your flesh and take you down a road that minimizes having on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't compromise. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put ye on charity, another place in Scripture. We won't go into that tonight, but the scripture also says, put on the whole armor of God. And Paul was probably, as we talked about when we talked about his letters, he was likely chained to a soldier that had the armor on when he explained to the church at Ephesus what it was to wear the armor of God so he could give them a clear picture of what it is to put on the entire armor of God that we might be able to fight against the wiles of the devil. And we know that the Bible there says that the shield of faith will quench all of the fiery darts, not just some of them. Doesn't that mean we have victory? The, the shield of faith will quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked, not some things that are accident or sometimes the devil gets something through and we stumble and we fall. There's power in the blood of Jesus. There's power in serving Christ. Don't forget that. Don't compromise. So we want to ask you tonight, what are you wearing? Spiritually speaking, have you put on the Lord Jesus? Are you serving the Lord? We always have an altar call at the end. And you know, the main thing with being saved is you have to admit that you need the Lord. There's lots of main things. That's one of the main things. But that's how it starts. The Spirit of God draws you. And you admit, you know what? I'm not where I should be. And that's a great start to be in, place to be in. And when you do admit that, the Lord will take you by the hand and he will help you pray that prayer, that prayer of repentance. And repentance means to turn your back on the sins that are in your life and say, I don't want to do those things anymore. But also saying, I not only, not only don't want to do those things, but Lord, I need your help to not do them. And that's where the Lord will take you through. And you'll experience a supernatural experience from outside what we can even understand in the physical because it comes from heaven. And he will witness with your heart that you have passed from death unto life. He will give you a taste of eternal life when you're saved. That's why we say you'll know it. Victory will be in your heart. Christ will make a change in your heart and you will have put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we always tell you, don't, start, don't stop there. Be sanctified. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be a witness for Christ. Take the Lord with you wherever you may go. We are going to have an opportunity to pray. We want to encourage you if you're questioning or wondering where I'm at with the Lord, where are my robes spiritually? Ask the Lord. Lord, I don't know where I'm at. Please help me. The Lord will help you. The Lord will uh, take you by the hand. The Lord will help you pray that prayer. The Lord wants you to put him on, so to speak. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to have an opportunity to pray. There's going to be a song of invitation. 638, come out and pray. God bless each and every one of you.